0: It's not even like a physical thing yet, but you see it in their eyes that all of a sudden they're starting to feel something, and the feeling is that it's working.
1: Welcome to all you first-time listeners, and thank you to all the returning listeners. This is another episode of Dharma Talk, and I'm your host, Henry Winslow. This is episode number 23, where I interview my friend, Riji Sa. And I couldn't have planned this release any better because in the interview, I really talked to Rigi a lot about her global upbringing and how she's the product of being uh, an international youth. And here I am recording this interview right now from the jungle in the Philippines, and it feels like just the right context to be introducing her to all of you. Now, Riji is someone that I've known from pretty early on in my personal yoga practice, yoga journey. She was one of the first teachers that I took class with down at Bikram Yoga Lower East Side. But more recently, I've gotten to know her a little bit better since we're teaching together at Lighthouse in Brooklyn. Even so, I didn't have half a clue about a lot of the things that Riji shared with me in this conversation And her story is not only inspiring, but truly heartwarming. So I won't spoil any of the surprises, but I will tell you that Rigi shares her special skill that she has had with her her whole life, that she really attributes to this dynamic international upbringing, and then why she finally felt at home in New York. She talks about how she introduced playful movement into a Native American community in New Mexico as a 19-year-old, and what that experience taught her before she ever started teaching yoga. And then, finally, she, she explains this dark cloud that loomed over her from her childhood through much of her teaching career, and why she's now, finally, basking in the sunlight today. So you'll get to hear all about Riji and her childhood and how that's integrated, that experience is integrated into her teaching right after these announcements. Stay tuned and we'll dive into this interview with Riji Sa. Dharma Talk super fans, I know some of you have been asking about this and waiting for it, so I'm excited to announce that our Dharma Talk shop is now live And this shop is in partnership with We Are Yoga. Check back to episode number three for my interview with the founder, Will Jones. They're doing all kinds of fun stuff, not just with products, but with events and retreats and all that good stuff. So... Go check out the store. We've got t-shirts, hats. Uh, by the time you're listening to this, there may be some leggings up there as well. And you can get 10% off your order with code HenryWay. That's not just on the Dharma Talk stuff. That's on the entire We Are Yoga website. You can get there through henrywindscom slash way, W-A-Y, or you can navigate through weareyoga.com. If you're looking to rapidly advance your yoga practice in a short amount of time, or your understanding of the subtler practices of yoga, consider applying to the Labor Day Immersion at Lighthouse Yoga School. Jared McCann, Aviad Sasi, and I will be leading this 30-hour, four-day intensive yoga study to help you advance your asana practice to be sure. Lots of classes and focused posture clinics. But more importantly, there will be a group sadhana every morning and it's our goal that you'll be able to walk away with a spiritual practice that supports you for the rest of your life. So get the details on that and sign up at henrywinds.com events. What's your purpose? What's your vision? What mark will you leave on this planet long after you're gone? I'm Henry Winslow, and you're listening to Dharma Talk, the only podcast where I interview inspirational yogis on how they're changing the world in their own unique ways. Whether you're still searching for your purpose or already walking the path, I hope these stories get you excited to live your dharma. Hello, Dharma Talk community. Welcome back to another episode. And today I'm interviewing my longtime friend, Riji Sa. Although Rigi has been a New Yorker since the age of six, she was born in Seoul, South Korea, and raised in Baghdad, Iraq. Brooklyn finally feels like home after having left NYC repeatedly in search for home in New Mexico and Hawaii. Her education and career paths have taken her from Colgate University to work on television and film, from bartending to corporate advertising mm-hmm. and from yoga, specifically the Bikram, Ghosh and Dharma lineages to work with the camera once again. Riji, I'm so excited to have you on the show today. How are you?
0: I'm so well, Henry. Thanks so much for inviting me and for having me. I appreciate it's,
1: it. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, let's just dive straight, straight into the questions. So the first question that I ask every single one of my guests is the same and that's this question. What does the word dharma mean to you, and what is your dharma as you understand it today?
0: Okay, I, and I <laughs> have to tell you the truth. When you told me that you may ask me that question, I uh, definitely sat through all of my teachers and their voices and my own search and and path uh, for dharma and, and what it should mean and what it means Um, and then I came across a definition that I had seen a long time ago where in Hinduism, Dharma is referred to as a principle in the cosmic order. And to be honest, Henry, I, I solely used to think that Dharma was your soul's purpose. It's the work and the duty that every human being is supposed to fulfill on this earth to make it a better place to, I don't know fulfill the soul's destiny, be a better human being, etc. But I'm, I really feel like the whole point of living in, in life or coming back to life is to be happy. Mm-hmm. So to me, dharma is doing what your soul is meant to do to be happy in this lifetime as this being on this earth.
1: To be happy. Yeah, I mean, that is that is life's work for sure, to be happy and, and to be constantly checking in to make sure that what was once making you happy, is that still making you happy? If not, what can I do to change? Right. And, and and what would you say, you know, what what are you doing right now, Riji, to to be happy and to further that path, that dharma as you defined it.
0: Well, it's really crazy that you asked me to speak to you at this time because um something has been fulfilled just literally in the last week and then um just 2 days ago uh was concrete um my for 20 years my dream or later on when i found out about yoga i was like oh this is my dharma for now um was to figure out a way to get my um green card here in america and then help it make possible to get my family's permanent residency status um And my parents um, were granted their green cards or their permanent residency status formally at the interview last week. And I was a petitioner. Yeah,
1: That's Um, so great. And
0: then two days ago, um, I just booked my parents their two tickets to go to Seoul, South Korea to see their family for the first time in over 25 years. Wow. Um, My mother, my father hasn't seen um, his parents passed away while we've been in this country, but my mother has her one, um, our one grandmother on my mom's side is alive um, and she's well in her nineties. So she's going to see her mom um, finally. And that to me, that to me has been a big, I feel like you can have many dharmas in your life. And I love that you said the whole thing about checking in, like, is this still making me happy? And if not, how can I change that? Because that makes it really a lot more fluid. And I think that's the whole, I mean, that's one of the biggest things I'm learning. And as a teacher and as a student in yoga, how to be more fluid, how to surrender, how to know when to like put action behind something and how to know when to sit still. And, um, yeah, that, that big Dharma is fulfilled. So I'm literally sitting in this place of like, what now?
1: Well, I think the first step is to kind of bask in that and enjoy it because this I mean, it's very tempting to move on to the next thing, right? We're always like, yeah. especially as, you know, New Yorkers, very productive, going after it, being ambitious. But that's, I mean, that's a huge moment to take in.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty huge. <laughs> are,
1: are you going uh, with her to Korea? Um,
0: no, my my mom and dad are going to go together and... Um, We're going to, my brother and his wife, his wife's father, obviously, my brother's father-in-law was the joint sponsor on this. So it's like a whole full circle thing. And my best friend from back in the day, like Queens growing up, like she used to pick me up every morning at 730 to get to the train to go to high school. I've known her since 13 years old. And Gabby has seen me through everything, all the evolutions, me before yoga, during yoga and all this stuff. And she's going to pick up the whole family and um, take us to the airport. So it's going to be really awesome. Mm-hmm. Full on send off.
1: That's so cool. Yeah, like yeah. full circle back to the childhood. You yeah. you just mentioned that, you know, this person who's, who's accompanying you through um, this kind of celebratory moment has known you since your childhood, long before you got into the yoga. And I also spoke mm-hmm. a little bit in your intro about how you've lived in so many different places. I'm very curious to hear about how, Um, with your international multi-contextual upbringing how the yoga found its way in there and then what you did to sort of fold it into this existence in different places
0: whoa (laughs) that's Um, a
1: loaded question
0: (laughs) it's loaded wow it's loaded i love it henry this this is great um i i was So, I was born in Seoul, South Korea, with my brother. And um, we were there for about two years. And um, I have a really crazy memory. I I don't know how it works like this, but I just do. I remember, um, maybe it's because, and I think about this too, Henry, you know, I feel like when you're Seoul. And there's people listening out there who are like, whatever, dude, I I don't believe in the whole soul choosing to be in this life and their family and all this stuff. But I'm only speaking from my own experience. And um, I can say that there is a reason that my memory is so strong. I have a very strong visual memory and memory of people and their names and their faces, um, places And I really feel a big reason for that is because I knew that I was going to be journeying a lot and I wasn't going to be in a home base for quite a while in my life. And um, so having, having a constant uprooting um, makes you have a very strong memory of the temporary rooting that you had. Right. And, um, mm-hmm. so with Korea, I had these like really vivid memories of, um, my father's from a tiny Island that's below the peninsula, which now is connected to the country by a land bridge, but the name is Wando and it's this little provincial Island. And, um, there's lots of rice, uh, a lot of rice and a lot of seaweed come from there. And my dad's a total Island boy. Um, One of nine. And I remembered my, his, his mother's funeral when I was like two years old. And I remembered like, because it's a very shamanic culture, South Korea has a very deep, deep shamanic culture, um, with even medicine too, like so much herbal medicine, so much, um, Uh, treatment of the body and the mind and the heart. There's just so many deep ties to shamanism. But that also is is shamanism to me has a lot to do with nature. It's Mm -hmm. not just like what, you know, it's easy for the mind to go into like, Ooh, like spooky witchy kind of stuff but um just so much nature and i just remembered seeing the water and singing and dancing and like food spread out to um feast to celebrate this person's memory and everyone's wearing white and yellow and it's it's more about celebration than about um you know uh, the other side of it and um And then uh, we went to Iraq. We were in Baghdad, and we lived there for three years. My father was a general manager of a large international construction company. Um, He's been all over the world. He's had offices in Yemen and Saudi Arabia and and Egypt and traveled everywhere. And um, my mother was a professor in South Korea, and and, um, they wanted to come to Iraq. And when we were in Iraq, my mom said, you know, I don't want to raise my kids in the Korean community. I want them to be in the city. I want them to experience the Baghdad people and the food and the culture since we're here. So um, it was during the Iran-Iraq counter wars and we had um, a lot of bomb drills. And my brother and I went to international school. I went to a French school for a short while. Um, there was this big British community, a British club was what it's called in, in Baghdad. And my mom fought her way in. We were the only non-British, non-white um, people. And she made friends with this amazing lady. We called her Auntie Anne. She knit us sweaters. Um, I think her son was like my first crush ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, she, she basically told uh, the... British club, you know, had people that if you don't let this family in, I'm pulling out my membership and the membership of all my friends. So we kind of got in that way. And, um, eventually I went, my brother and I attended school, quote unquote, like kindergarten, pre-kindergarten there. And I learned how to speak English and, you know, arithmetic and all that other stuff. Um, my mother was always, listening to headphones. We'd go to the Baghdad hotel and jump in the pool and swim. And, and I remembered one day, it just like stuck out of my mind. I was like, mom, what are you listening to? And, and she said to me, I'm listening to English tapes. I was like, why are you listening to English tapes? You know, like we're in Iraq. We're we, Why would you, I mean, we speak Korean. And my mom said, well, I want to take you to a place where you're going to have to speak this language. And I want to be able to speak it because I'm your mother. And I remember thinking, like, what does that even mean? Um, And fast forward, my parents, we came to America and it's really my mom. My dad um, didn't really have a big, strong feeling about coming here or not. My mother did. And um, she wanted to bring her children, raise them in this country and... Um, There's a a Korean proverb saying if you want to live like the tiger, you have to go into the tiger's den. And that's what my mom did. She wanted us to go here. So um, my parents, the reason I brought up their careers um, is that I think that's an important thing for many people to hear and understand um, who don't have a very strong connection to immigration and what's happening, not just in the States, but everywhere, is... um, The immigrants that come in, or the quote-unquote, we came in legally on a business visa. Um, It just expired over time, and we had to go through the normal processes that other immigrants go through to get their permanent residencies, et cetera. But um, something important to remember is when people come to this country, um, just because they had masters or doctorates in other countries, or they were surgeons in their places or professors, et cetera, um, it's not honored here unless you've fulfilled uh the standard or the licensing requirements of this country um more so it's the language obviously that you need to be proficient in so um anyway i growing up as a kid here in new york city that was really clear I've, i don't know and i'm sure you could attest this henry is like how many cab rides have you taken and maybe had a conversation with a cab driver who speaks nine languages and was a professor of literature Mm-hmm. Back in Egypt, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and you're sitting there dumbfounded. <laughs> and uh, so that's that's kind of the beauty of of having then come to, the, to New York. Because I think if anywhere else, I just don't think my earlier childhood would have made sense. And here, because you're surrounded by people with not the same stories, but stories that give your story a little like a sigh of relief, like of understanding, okay, there's some other things out there that are a little bit more bizarre, or, or this is normal to somebody else, you know, and um, then, uh, then being in New York, I, I, I think I was overwhelmed by just the the craziness of the city and the vibe and the people like my first two years in America I really can't remember and that's what's nuts is I remember Baghdad so clearly like these red double-decker buses um, my brother and I used to ride these really big bikes all around the block it was super safe our neighbor next door used to make us grape leaves all the time we had these picnics under the palm trees in the desert every weekend where people sang and danced and played music um, and it was, it was real and part of it I'm so grateful to have had that time because you know when the Persian Gulf War happened and then later much later on on when um, the U.S. went to war in Afghanistan, um, those places, they were they were devastated, you know, and um, I'm thankful because I wasn't that kid in school that was just ignorant of, of the people there or of what was happening in that country or that that country had such a humanity to it, you know, it wasn't, it's so easy to get caught up on one side of propaganda when you're feeling very patriotic, you know, and that's no one's fault. It's it comes with the package of living in a country that you feel very connected to. But at the same time I'm I'm thankful to have had that that time, you know. And um Yeah. I think that's always kind of empathy. Yeah. And and um at an early age to to be able to look at things and say, that's not exactly yeah. Yeah. Um and then later on, um when I went to Colgate, I decided um I had really wanted to major in French and Spanish and travel uh, abroad and live in France and Spain for a year each. But um, at the time, I had immigration issues, um, obviously, so I couldn't leave the country. And so I um, decided that I was going to go to New Mexico, and I majored in um, Native American Studies. And obviously, I decided to major in Native American Studies before the New Mexico trip happened. But um, I, I had decided on that because... Um, that's where I live. You know, it's where we live in America. Um, this land, it didn't belong to anyone that's living here now, except for, you know, the ancestors, the people that are on the 600 plus nations reservations that still exist. And the hundreds more that don't have any more, um, at least quote unquote blood quantum (laughs) enough Mm -hmm. to be, to exist. And so I decided that I want to learn about where I am and what it meant to be part of this country not being really part of it or at least part of the decision-making of policies and of governance um, really Um, so I went to New Mexico and we did a study abroad, a study off-campus semester, and there I got really connected to these people in to Reservation, and my job was, because we each all had, you know, jobs with these reservations that we chose to work with, and mine was to create a fitness program there, and so um, the fitness program, when they asked for it, they said, we have no gym, Riji, we have no funding, we have no money. Uh, we need to do something for the elders, we need to do something for the kids, and we need to do something for the middle population of young adults and adults, because um, there's a lot of people with different illnesses and diseases that are prevalent among reservations, and we'd like to be able to do something about it from the roots up, and not just medicate. So, well, I was like, I'm only... 19 I don't really know what I can do except I know at the time like <laughs> I'm I, re- I was such so into sports I ran at 6 a.m. every morning when I was in New Mexico and I would stretch I you know had grown up playing different sports as a kid and um so I was like well let's just have fun you know and had so I would set up obstacle courses a- across the plaza which is like the center place where everyone um convenes for gatherings and feast ceremonies Um and I had the seniors like walk us through their old, you know, long walks when they were kids and um we'd take the kids with us from head start, like all these little babies (laughs) and walk around the reservation and these back trails and up to the water tower and then um I had I would like measure out rocks and weights and, and wood and have everybody do like lifting exercises. I mean it was just stuff that I would do in a gym, but just outdoors and like more fun. Um and it worked. Um some people just did it. They got they got really into it and people lost weight and blood pressure went down and I mean it was it was kind of strange to sit back and to sit back now and to look at it and be like, "Oh, that was just that was fun." You know, I was a 19-year-old kid. I was asked to like help people work out, you know, and and be healthy and enjoy being out in the sunshine and I I didn't know that was a job. Um
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it are just basically like play like I play
0: yeah yeah exactly and I think that's uh I think that's a big part of coming full circle into where I am now with teaching um I've been teaching for 12 years this year this November and like you my practice began well you you started with um yoga in a gym at New York sports clubs but you really really got into the yoga when you started with Bikram that's right
1: that's right right yeah Mm -hmm. Okay.
0: So for me, it was the same. I, my yoga practice definitely started, started where I kind of went in and took three straight days and then committed to a full, you know, all this, a, a really full practice. Um, it was with Bikram yoga. And, um, when you're a Bikram yoga student, as you know, everything is, is really precise and it's, It's 26 and two, and it's never going to change. You know, the teachers change, the energy changes, the room might change, but what you're doing doesn't change. How you're doing it will always transform, which is why you come back, Um, but uh, now – 12 years in after having like gone away from Bikram for a while and and always keeping a foot in the door with Bikram yoga teaching wise and practicing just enough so that I could remember that it's not easy for my students when I teach them you know I think that's really important as a Bikram yoga teacher um, yeah. it's really easy no it's true right like Bikram yoga teachers we 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 can go off and we could take vinyasa and we could do ashtanga we can get committed into other styles of practice but if you're still teaching a 90 26 and 2 or even now a 60 26 26 and 2 like you still have to show up in that room at least once a week i feel like on your mat just to remember hey yeah, man
1: you got to be familiar with that practice what it feels like to be in it yeah yeah, yeah
0: absolutely yeah so it, it's um coming back and coming now into yoga where i teach vinyasa i teach privately i teach corporate groups i Travel different places and teach seminars workshops everything um, when I teach even 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 within the Bikram yoga container of the 26 and 2 um, and even in the advanced container of the 84 um, because of that time in New Mexico I really feel that I have I had this very clear early understanding of possibility and potential. Beyond what is obvious, um, beyond the, the seeming reality of the situation, um, the limits of what we're supposed to be able to do or what we're supposed to do, um, and that there is a, this element of play um, in, in anything, really, uh, but in, in the body, like movement of the body, especially for me, with breath.
1: Um, yeah, so and yeah, I love that you, um, you know, it seems to me that you, everything that you've told me and the way that you tell the stories is always very indicative of what's important to you, right? Not not just you, Rigi, but, but anyone like the things that come out when you're relating your own experience, they're naturally going right. to weave a narrative arc. And, um, you kept coming back to these, these ideas of, of places and what's foundationally rooted in the place. And I can't help but you know draw my own conclusion around that, which you may or may not agree with, but I think it has to do with how much you've moved around and, and being able to contextualize yourself so quickly and then understand what you're gonna take away from each place. I think that probably has something to do with why you wanted to study Native American culture when you landed in the US. And it's mm-hmm. And it also kind of comes back to this idea that you mentioned earlier, if you're not going to be in one place for very long, then your memory has to pick out something that you can really hold on to. And I wonder, you know, when you got to New York, you said you didn't remember the first two years. Is that because, you know, maybe something, some part of you realized that you had more time and you could, you know, really take your time to appreciate what was happening here?
0: Totally. That that would make a lot of sense, Henry. That actually... Yeah. This whole time I've been thinking, was it that traumatic? And I just blocked it <laughs> out, but <laughs> no, I like your explanation better.
1: <laughs> yeah. Cause I mean, you, you've left and come back and it seems she won't let you... me
0: go. Henry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, And it seems that well, I think that you're, you're happy here now, but, um, yeah, we're very happy to have you. That's for sure. Oh, so thanks. yeah, yeah, of course. Um, you know, so you you kind of cited this moment uh, working with the Native American population, this particular tribe, as being a place or a time in your life where something clicked for you with your teaching. So, what happened there? When? How did you make the leap from, you know, teaching natural, in, in, intrinsic movement modality kind of stuff to saying, okay, let me let me dive deeper into this yoga stuff.
0: Uh. There was there was no yoga. I mean, I took one yoga class in, in my years of Colgate and it was the year after I got back from New Mexico and I, she was such a lovely lady and she, had, she was really she was really lovely. She had like silvery hair, totally looked the yoga, you know, the whole yoga stereotype thing, mm-hmm. like the peaceful face and the silvery long hair and the loose you know pants and the voice and all that. And Henry, I swear, I no offense to her, but it was really hard for me to stay awake in that mm. class. I think part of that is actually just that I was still a kid. Um, I was used to running, boxing, playing basketball, um, doing things that were very much about moving and not about taking the moment to be in a posture and still. Um, and I like to be challenged. And I didn't feel that it was... The poses weren't quite so challenging, um, at least the ones that uh, I had. I was learning from her, so my my first perception of yoga was that it was like, oh, it's boring and it's slow and nothing's really happening for me, and I can't really concentrate. So I'm just gonna go back to running. Um, with Bikram, what happened was I got back to New York after Colgate, and um, it was a bit tough. I had a senior year transitioning into uh, the first real world year, obviously for everyone um, is not easy. I, I was in a place of a standstill where I had this degree from this really awesome institution and yet I didn't have the paperwork that would help me work legally in the country. So I didn't really know what to do. And thankfully, I had my bartender's license since I was 18. So I just found a bartending job right away and started working. And I would run. I ran so much not because, I mean, yes, it felt amazing. But I would I'd go on these long, crazy runs in Central Park. My favorite times to run were when it's during the rainstorms because you run around the reservoir and lightning, obviously, is always near water. So you could see it like going in a circle sometimes, mm-hmm. um, which is insane. But running always helped me feel better. And, um, I thought I would get away from my own mind for a while and the stress or the worry. Um, and what brought me to Bikram was actually a physical thing. Literally, I had run so much that my knees and my hips were like, okay, dude, you need to do something else. And, uh, I literally looked up on Google. <laughs> I looked up a healthy workout that makes you sweat. <laughs> 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 and I was like a workout, healthy workout, and then I would like get really specific. It was like healthy workout that helps your knees and hips and makes you sweat. And seriously, Bikram yoga popped up. So somebody's I SEO to my first was on point. <laughs> exactly, somebody was doing their thing back then, um, and I got to my first class in Flatiron. And actually, I was a New York Sports Club member, and I would keep my bag in the locker uh, right by Central Park. On Madison and uh, or between Park and Madison, and then I would run to the park and run back and just keep my bag in the locker. That's really why I had my membership. But yeah, I was still NYC NYSC club member when I jumped into my first Bikram class. And after that, that was that was it. I was like, I got to do this. My knees don't hurt. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And then after a while, it was, oh wow, I. I'm I'm not thinking about things like when I used to run, but when I leave yoga, I'm a lighter. So something is clicking here because my runs would take me away, but I would come back, shower off, and head back to work or head into my rest of my evening, and I would s- those those things would come back, you know, mm-hmm. those old haunts. And with yoga, they would just get more quiet, and that's really when it clicked for me.
1: Yeah. What, yeah what, a, what a powerful benefit of, of yoga that so many of us have experienced. It's so true. I mean, you, you come in, you're looking for that sweaty workout that relieves tension in your hips or whatever the exact keyword phrase was that you put in. But then you come out and on top of the physical benefit, there is a very, very real mental and emotional benefit too. such relief. And I, and I think that is especially true of of the Bikram practice, particularly for uh, beginner yoga students, because it forces you, you know, to to really be there. You're just struggling to stay with it and <laughs> and and manage to breathe through those ninety minutes. And as much as now in where I am now and and where you are now, we're we're very curious about trying different styles of yoga, different lineages, and learning from different teachers, but. At the beginning, mm-hmm. I, w- I was I the exact same as you, you know? I, like, took a class that wasn't physically rigorous enough, and I was like, oh, this is boring, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I can totally relate to that. Um, and, yeah, so much of that story rings true with me. And then, so at s- a certain point there, you you thought, okay, not only is, is it clicking with me that I need to keep this practice up, but I want to share this. So what happened with that?
0: Uh, I... You know what? I didn't ever think that I would be a teacher. Like, I was told that I would be by different teachers. <laughs> and I just, it was so weird. Henry, literally, I had a few teachers who I really admired um, at the time. And they, for two years, they were like, "Reggie, you know you're going to training. I'm like, you guys, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I couldn't see, I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. Because, to be honest, so much of it hinged upon, like, getting legalization and getting papers to work that I was like, well, I'm going to bartend. I could do that right now. Um, And I will flout creatively like, you know, and I had all these other opportunities that I was working, blessed to work with amazing producers and different film television um, opportunities that came my way literally because people I worked with referred me to another person and it was never with, you know, an agency or anything. And I was always honest with people about my situation and they were always like, we still want you. So Mm -hmm. here's a check. We're making it happen. And I thought that's what I would do. And I would just bartend and figure out how to stay one creative foot in the world and do what I could do in that place. Uh, But then eventually it was like, no reach, there's a glass ceiling there. And as much as you love that kind of work and as much as it feels like home to you, it's not giving you a home right now. So, Mm you could be that, and no offense to anyone because I, I know plenty of amazing people who work in the service industry in New York and they are brilliant artists and they're doing their thing. They're just living New York, which is like, you got to pay the bills, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I I I was in a place of like, I don't want to do that. I, I don't want to do that. And so I was like, okay, well, if I teach yoga, I could teach enough classes um, Well, where I don't have to be in a bar at all, you know? And um, part of that was that I was just was done with I realized like you know after some time you spend and I was a work study I decided to be a work study for two years to be able to practice as much as I wanted and that was such an amazing experience for me because I got to know the studios inside out Um, I got to know the teachers very very well some of them to this day are still my dearest friends and mentors and um, it's also an experience that gives you an, an insider's eye on you know what what it really takes you know to to be a teacher you know you see them when they show up when they before they have to get changed to do the sign in and let their day go to be there for the next two hours for these students you see how they leave and you know so it was it was kind of amazing to watch and um I thought you know this is a lot more healthy than standing behind a bar for 12 hours and And I was always a bartender that told people to go home anyway. Because I was like, you've got two kids, dude. It's three in the morning. You need to go home. You know, and it was just, I was not effective as a bartender. I'd kick people out all the time. I'd tell them they need to go home. It's too late. I'd tell people that they had too much to drink. Um, Yeah, you were were too concerned with their best interests. (laughs) (laughs) But I was like, I need to get on the other side of this already. So, yeah. Um, And, you know, and the whole fitness program in Tusuki and working with people, working with uh Watching, you know what it was? It was the watching of people. And I was only there. We only did the fitness program in Tosuki for like four four months. But to see what happened in four months was insane. I worked with them three times a week over the whole four months. There were people who lost like 12 pounds, 18 pounds. There were senior citizens who could do push-ups. I mean, people who had their heart rate checked and their blood pressure checked and things were like just – Just getting better and better. And then when I left, everybody was staying in touch with me about how they were training and still going. And that's Mm -hmm. the thing is like they kept it up. And when I see that, I see the excitement in people's eyes. I see how people who were really reluctant to show up in the beginning for my long walks with them then decided to tag along one day and then just started to show up really quietly, you know. Um, I think that's really what it was, is like seeing that magical turn, happen for somebody inside out where it's not even like a physical thing yet but you see it in their eyes that all of a sudden they're starting to feel something and the feeling is that it's working
1: yeah and i can do it it's a change in mindset that yeah that paves the way for everything else in a Indeed, way it's also it's such a rush yeah yeah it's also a little bit kind of like you know give a man a fish versus teach a man to fish like you've really empowered them because now they have not only the tools but the the motivation to continue the work on themselves right so cool right. yeah <laughs> so riji you know after you started teaching i know it's like i mean many of the people who listen to the show are also yoga teachers so you know we can relate to the whole journey of that But, um, what was a challenge that you came across and then what did you do to kind of power through that and, and stay grounded in yourself and and excited about teaching?
0: Hmm. Wow. A challenge that I came. Oh, okay. Ooh. Okay. So say the question one more time. What was the challenge that I came across in teaching? Yeah. And and it it? doesn't
1: necessarily need to be a challenge in your teaching, but just after you became a teacher, because I know that you were continuing to do all these other things, you know, you were um, doing this, the creative side hustles and and the modeling and all of that. And maybe the challenge was finding a place for all those different pieces of your life. I don't know. But the, yeah, the question was, what was this challenge that sticks out in your memory? And what Mm -hmm. did you do to power through it and stay excited and motivated in, in what you were doing?
0: Um, Well, first off, when I decided to go to teacher training back in 2006, uh, I decided to fold everything that I had done creatively. So I stopped all my film acting work. Um, I I just stopped going to, you know, everything that was involved about about acting and film. and, And I just decided to completely close that story for that time. and. Um, and I left, and I decided to completely focus on te- on teaching yoga. Um, and I had to, and I and I did that to to be really sane about it <laughs> because it was rather rather heartbreaking at the time. Um, so in order for me to be able to keep going. I mean, I'm a double Scorpio. I can get really like emotional and really like wavy with the water and any of my close friends, some of them have been interviewed here, um, <laughs> could attest to that. But, uh, I, I, so I just said, Reach, this is what you're going to do now. And you can say thank you to all your teachers and this journey. And if it comes to you again, fantastic. And if it doesn't, thank you. And, um, so I just started teaching and it was great. It was really great to be able to dive in, to focus into something 100%. Um, so, I don't regret that decision at all. during my teaching time, um, I'd say I'd say the biggest oh my gosh, I, I mean it was before teaching too, but my biggest personal uh, challenge has always been um, up until a few years ago, um, just dealing with how to overcome this whole um, immigration story in my life. Um, and because it wasn't until about 2014 or 13 that I got my papers. So it's been, it, it was been, it had been a while. And um, so it's to be weird. It's so weird to say this, Henry, because you're like, you know, you can't really say that it's the problem because you can't really see it, right? You wake up in the morning, you get changed, you pack your bags, and you're like, this is my day. I'm going to go and teach these classes, these clients. I go in and practice with this teacher at this time, or I do my home practice at this time. Then I come home, and I eat food, and I go to sleep. And you wake up the next day. So it's like, what's the problem? You have a roof over your head. You got food. You got... And then there's people that love you, and you have these dear friends. And you can still do some things like travel within the states. Um, you Your parents... They're healthy. You know, your brother is healthy. Like, nothing's wrong. But there's this thing. And the thing is that it's you, even if you wanted to do something different the next day, like apply for a different job or decide you wanted to go to France, you can't. Um so it's 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 so weird it's like there's no real problem but it's a big problem (laughs) so it's there all the time so my my thing is so interesting Bikram bikram when i went to teacher training now he has said some crazy things and um we won't go into other things about it i will say though um in my personal interactions with boss there's been nothing but respect and in his uh half moon dialogue feedback for me, um, which is what he used to do back in the day. I don't know what he does now, but he he would have everybody have their half moon dialogue ready. So we'd have to stand up in front of everybody on the first day and say half moon in front of boss and all the teachers and all these new people who don't, who you don't know. And then he tells you like what he thinks about it, what you should work on, or it's sometimes outrightly rude. (laughs) (laughs) And (laughs) I went up and did mine 12 years ago. And uh, when I was done, he said to me, "Beginning was hazy. First, lots of clouds. Then the sun came out. I understand." He said, "Always start with the sun out." And I was like, "What in the world does that freaking mean?" I'm like, "Did I stutter in the beginning?" You know, like so. And it really, it wasn't until I got my citizenship last year that it really clicked. I heard his voice in my head and it was like, boss, I get it because all those rooms I ever walked in to teach, all those students I ever saw, yes, I mean, I, I can say that I was present. Um, yes, I can say I did my best to show up for my students every day as a teacher and give them the space that they needed and hold the space for them to work with what they did and be as positive with my energy as possible. Um, and not to come in with my own shit. Or sorry, I'm not sure if we can curse on your show. Nope, you can um,
1: curse. We've got okay. the explicit rating. It's all good.
0: Okay. <laughs> um, but I, I was, well, although I was really conscious of that, and I had seen some of the best teachers do it, and learned from them, and tried to emulate them. Um, like I said, it's the one thing that is not a problem, but it's it's there, and it's like your your companion, right, through this mm-hmm. time. Um, so it's a shadow, right? And it wasn't until I got my citizenship that something lifted. And to be honest, Henry, it wasn't really until I got my, sat there with my parents and got their, uh, put that, got their um, permanent residency granted. I, I, the next morning, I had to teach in Long Beach. It's a Tuesday morning. It's my longest teaching day. And, I, and on, the, on the way there, I was like, okay, Reed, you know, it's a long day. Make sure you hydrate and get yourself mentally ready for classes, clients, etc., And all of a sudden, I'm sitting there watching myself and I'm like, wait a minute, what's this feeling? (laughs) And just this feeling of space and lightness. And I was like, wait, all I have to do is go in there and teach now? I just have to show up and teach. So easy. That's all I have to do. So easy now. Yeah. So the biggest challenge, Henry, for me as a teacher in, in this time or in, in the time after I became a teacher was the challenge that I had before I was a teacher that probably has made me a better teacher and has definitely made me a better student and definitely made me more compassionate human being first for myself and for other people is, uh, the karma that I had to burn, Yeah. you know, some, some reason my soul chose this to do it and, uh, and, and and the biggest challenge was to show up sometimes, Henry, because there were mornings when I didn't want to. I'm sure other e- teachers have other stories and other reasons, you know? Yeah.
1: It's, it's easier to just stay under the covers when the shadow is looming over. But you had yeah. to start with the sun shining. Start with the sun Yeah. Out.
0: And I didn't really get that <laughs> until, it like, last year. And I was like, oh, boss, 11 years later. Holy cow. Like... The wow. sun's out.
1: The sun is out.
0: Yeah, for most days, unless you catch me on a sassy day. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Riji, apart from getting your message and sharing your story out on this podcast, what are you doing today to live your dharma?
0: <sighs> today. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm in that... Well, you know what? I really love that you said to me, I think you need to bask for a while. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I said um, I feel like your dharma is to do what makes you happy. So it's still a purpose. It's still doing something or uh, or maybe it's even the seeking. I feel like the seeking is is the doing right sometimes where it's the journey that takes us to different people and different places, different jobs, different things asked of us and different services we provide, we give and we receive um sometimes receiving is dharma and i think in this moment you're right i i i should i i haven't really done it but i am going to i'm going to bask and receive some of the happiness of this time in my life
1: amazing yeah and i'm gonna take
0: some time (laughs) (laughs) yeah and then and then share it you know in whatever purpose makes me happy to do so
1: yeah great Okay, Rigi, um We were speaking before we turned on the recording, and and I know that you haven't listened to the other interviews. So this is this may be a little bit of a surprise, but we end every show with what I call the Prana Round, and in this little oh, section, Lord. <laughs> in this section of the show, I ask you six rapid fire questions and ask you to answer in minimum one word, maximum no one s- maximum one sentence. Okay. Uh. <laughs> Don't be nervous. You got it. (laughs) Okay, Henry. Here we go. All right, question one. In one word, why do you practice yoga? Love. What's your favorite yoga pose and why?
0: Dancer. uh, Full standing bow. Because it is so hard.
1: (laughs) That's a good reason. (laughs) what's the single best cue or piece of advice you've ever received from a yoga teacher well we kind of answered that one but if you have something else you want to share Mm. up to you
0: Mm -hmm. breathe
1: that's a popular response to this question i've gotten Mm -hmm. that one before and it's a very good one too okay recommend one book modern or ancient for our audience
0: Oh wow. One book, modern or ancient. The Fountainhead. Ayn Rand. Yes.
1: All right. Um, is yoga for everyone?
0: Hm. All yoga is for everyone but there are many limbs to yoga
1: yes i agree with that some form of yoga right is for mm. is for everyone okay <laughs> last question how can our audience get in touch with you and how can we support you in your dharma
0: <laughs> um. I have a website, it's R i j i s u h R-I-J-I-S-U-H.com. And you can find me where I teach at Lighthouse Yoga School, Yobi K, Bikram Yoga Long Beach, or on my website when I list seminars or workshops. And you can support my dharma by doing your own. Because the more happy people that are on this planet, a better place it is.
1: Amazing. Riji, it's been such a pleasure to hear more about your background. You know, we've known each other for a while, but I learned so much about you today. And um, it really was a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on the show.
0: Thank you, Henry. It was an honor. I appreciate it.
1: got something out of this episode if you like dharma talk and want to keep it going please do me a huge favor and subscribe rate and review on itunes i know it's not the most convenient thing to do but it makes all the difference in getting the show out there and more visible to other people who can benefit from it and hey if you've got feedback or ideas or you want to get in touch with me you can do that on instagram at HenryWins. otherwise i'll talk to you next week and until then Keep living your dharma.